Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with David Stilwell, retired Brigadier General and former Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. He sheds light on the TikTok hearing, whether it's for entertainment or for warfare, and how to understand the Chinese Communist Party more broadly. To begin, let's zoom in on why TikTok is causing such a stir on Capitol Hill this week. Well, it's a juxtaposition of our wide open democratic system being uh, abused by a communist um, controlling authoritarian system. They have full access to all our information, our people. TikTok was a great stalking horse. I mean, give them credit. It was a great idea. And, and they created something that is truly addictive. Uh, and so, and then finally, these people all claim not to have uh, direct connections with the Communist Party, but it doesn't take much scratching to see that they do. So the uh, congressional attention is very welcome. And I think if it continues, it started with, you know, Senator Ted Cruz in October of 21, actually, when this idea first came up a year and a half ago. Um, and he had the, the American face of TikTok in front of him. The guy would not answer his questions. Extremely evasive. Clearly, there's more going on. In general, you mentioned how popular it is, and the CEO also noted that there's about 150 million active users in America each month. So what are the dangers here, especially maybe in the political realm? This is information warfare. I talk about this all the time. When we talk about war with China, everybody automatically thinks shooting at each other over Taiwan. But that's not how the PRC thinks about this. They think about it in terms of information warfare, economic warfare, and, and this has elements of all of those things, political warfare. Um, it, it would have been nice if we could have access to the algorithm or anything that comes out of the PRC now. Before we accept it into our systems, we validate, verify that it doesn't have some uh, code in it that is hurting us, that's sharing American information unnecessarily. But we allowed it in, and now we have to get it out. I say again, India managed to kick 200 apps, not just TikTok. TikTok and 19, 199 other apps, they blocked. Uh, congressional language could easily block it. Never mind what the CEO says. All we have to do is pass a law that defends our information space from the uh, PRC. In general, you mentioned the algorithm, and TikTok does have a Chinese version or China only called Douyin. And how are they different? It seems there's age limits, there's time limits for China's version. They're pushing different things there. How are they different? I, I haven't actually seen the Chinese version. From fo what, what I understand is, like you say, it's very narrow. It's focused. Uh, it's primarily a transmit vice a sharing uh, app. The government uses it to get its word out and its you know, cleared messages to its own people. If that's good enough for the PRC, it should be good enough for the U.S., right? So let's bring the uh, TikTok CEO and suggest that we just go with that. Or or he opens up the algorithm and lets us take a hard look at it and see where those backdoors, uh, information sharing, all that goes. That's there, There's some clean options there. And on that note, the TikTok CEO is doubling down today on Capitol Hill. He's saying this is not a national security threat. What's your take on this? How believable is this? The, you know, for 40 years, we believed everything uh, the PRC said. We took it at face value. We wanted to believe that they were being square, upright, forthright, honest. Uh, I think the pandemic went a long way to making us second guess that. No human-human transmission, of course there was. 
Uh, of course, it was out of control, and, and the PRC made sure that the rest of the world got sick, so it didn't suffer by itself. That in itself should have made uh, Americans, and especially our government, question anything that comes out of that CCP. And then you had the balloon debacle here recently. We clearly know that thing had nothing to do with weather. It was a surveillance, uh, um, you know, lighter than air, lighter than air aircraft. How many of these do we have to go through until we stop believing, uh, taking at face value, right? This is what Pompeo said it in uh, California, distrust and then verify. This is how the, the system works in the PRC. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. There's no penalties for lying, et cetera, et cetera. It's a massive cultural difference between a trust-based society and a society that has no trust. We have to actually distrust. In general, on the note about the balloon, it seems that kind of demonstrates China's dual use, right? They're like, this is a weather balloon, but it also had a very strong surveillance capability. It was over all of our sensitive military bases. In terms of TikTok, how would that be a dual use? Uh, anybody who says that this is a purely commercial activity, civilian, you know, just some fun software doesn't understand CCP or Xi Jinping's China. Everything is dual use. Everything has a connection to the Communist Party. Could you say, well, if I look at the organization chart, it doesn't say that? Well, you know, talk to the political commissar that has to sit inside every company larger than, what, 10 people or something like that. That commissar is in there monitoring the activities of that that government of that company, and he's also there to transmit the will of the government. So, again, when American people wake up and understand that this is a uh, China Inc. problem, or worse, this is a basically a whole country dedicated to advancing the objectives of the Communist Party, we're we're getting there. We're not quite there yet. Um, we're almost there. In general, on that note, it seems one of the concerns with TikTok is its parent company, ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. And the fears there, right, is the Chinese regime could ask for that data and the company would be forced to hand over it. So what would happen if that actually played out? I think the PRC says that we've said it. Information is the new oil. It's the new stock and trade. It's the new free thing you can drill out of the ground and then turn into something marketable. Information in general is available for free. The more you have, the more that figures into your AI, uh, artificial intelligence, and the second part of that, machine learning. That's the the, the other part. And from that, you can drive all sorts of information about uh, what uh, a particular government is sensitive to, where opportunities lie, advantages and disadvantages lie. Everything has a strategic uh, impact and a uh, and a reason we should be protecting it. Fine. I mean, but really, basically, this started when I was in Beijing in 2011. The Mandiant Report, the very first one, APT1, talked about um, a PLA organization in Shanghai that was, you know, stealing American intellectual property on the behalf of the Chinese government. This was a government effort to undermine the American economy. And this has been going nonstop ever since. We then should recognize that you know, there is a thief at the door and we need to deadbolt the door, right? Because you're coming in to steal our stuff. They, these, these aren't friendly software apps and stuff like that. They all have ulterior motives. This is Xi Jinping has said as much in, in his many programs. So we have to help the American people understand that the Chinese people are great. We love the Chinese people and the culture, but the Communist Party is means us harm, seeks to dominate seems to wants to change the system to look more like what it is in the PRC than what we have in our free and open societies, and we shouldn't allow that. 
General, you mentioned information in terms of AI and especially machine learning, and it seems some of the trends that are on TikTok or make their way over to Instagram have a lot to do with, say, maybe someone's baby picture and then what they look like now. And, you know, it seems very sweet, whatever, seeing people grow, but some experts are noting it's like that is helping the machine learn how to recognize how people change through the years. And then what could that kind of learning be used for, especially in a war, potentially? So my data was stolen as part of the uh, OPM hack back in 2014 or 15, as was millions of other government people. From that information, biological information simply, you know, health issues, you can use that to uh, hold people hostage. You can use that as leverage to get people to do what they don't want to do. You can also build networks from that information and figure out that I talked to these four people And then you can monitor their accounts. And then from there, you can build a story of what we talk about, things that we do related to national security, related to economics, things we buy. How about simple economics? Having an understanding of what sorts of things I like to buy uh, and then using that as leverage to withhold those supply chain information things uh, or the difficulties we had with supply chains. Every bit of this gives the PRC a hammer, a lever that they can hit us over the head with that we don't get in reverse because of the, the great firewall. Um, again, we should not allow the adversary to keep punching us while we simply hold our hands behind our back because our system doesn't allow us to defend ourselves. We should defend ourselves. And and if from that we come to an accommodation or an agreement with the PRC that you know we're going to we're going to allow these things to go one by one to rebuild the the uh, relationship, then that's fine. But to just to sit back and say, oh, like the TikTok CEO says, well, you couldn't possibly stop this because you'll make 150 million people angry. That's not a good argument. And on that note, we are seeing all of these TikTok influencers that went down to Capitol Hill today to really protest. And a lot, there is a lot of money on the line, right? A lot of people do earn a lot of money through this. But with those people who are like, I don't work in government, who cares that China can get access to my data? What would you say to them? I'd say it's much broader than that. It, they're getting access to your economic data, and that matters. And preferences, bank accounts. Lately, we found out that North Korea has been the largest benefactor of cryptocurrency. I think you saw that story. They've been, they've been just taking billions in cryptocurrency, you know, uh, and, and using that for their weapons programs, their own economy and all that. There's nothing that prevents the PRC from doing that. In fact, they may be doing it. They're just more stealthy about it. So do you care about your bank account? then you should care about the PRC having direct access to everything you do by TikTok. Uh, you just don't. We know that we know that there is no civil private industry in the PRC. Everything has been subsumed under the Communist Party and exists to serve the party's needs. Everything is suspect at that point. That was David Stilwell, retired Brigadier General and former Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. And after the break, we hear more from him on how information warfare could play out, countering China's lobby efforts on Capitol Hill and drawing a distinction between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our coverage with David Stilwell, retired Brigadier General and former Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs, on how information warfare could play out, 
countering China's lobby efforts on Capitol Hill and drawing a distinction between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people. And on the aspect of information, earlier you mentioned information warfare. So in terms of TikTok, how could that play out? It seems there's some reports noting, you know, they're showing maps of China and Taiwan as the same color, just, you know, telling children that this is part of it. And a lot of younger people get their news from TikTok. So what are some of the concerns here? Well, another thing you could do, it would be very hard, I think, but you know, we have smart people in this country, is attribute the source of whatever information. Figure out, you know, if it gets washed through a third party so it doesn't look like it came out of Beijing, I think there's ways that you could trace it back uh, based on signature and a bunch of other things to then say, either put a warning on, say, hey, this is a product from the CCP, or just to ban it outright, outright as, you know, adversary, enemy, hostile information. I think that would be a good way, to, or at least a, a consideration. Again, we, we're dancing on this line of, of uh, censorship and, and First Amendment freedoms. Um, we have to be very careful with that, but we also have to defend ourselves. And again, the CEO is benefiting from that. His, his points today are just saying, yeah, your laws prevent you from stopping me from what I'm doing. No, we can change our laws. The fact that Congress is engaged tells me all we have to do is amend our laws in a smart way. We can, we can solve this. It seems on that note, right, you mentioned the CEO's comments. There's also a lot of lobby efforts in the Capitol, especially on the side of TikTok or in the past Huawei. And it seems one term that comes up a lot is reciprocity, right? It's like China can do or anyone, right, Russia, North Korea, they could do certain things in our countries, but we can't do that there. So how would we solve that going forward? Well, we did this when we uh, booted 60 journalists that were in the U.S. There were 160 total uh, Chinese journalists or, quote, journalists on American journalist visas. And uh, with Matt Pottinger, we looked at those people. We looked for a byline. We looked for anything that said, you know, this is Wang Wei reporting from D.C. in a story back to China, which is what journalists do, right? They tell you what's going on in Beijing, messaging back to the U.S. Not a single byline. And then when we challenge the, the Chinese embassy about that, they go, well, no, our journalists are there to tell China's story to the American people. That's not what journalists do. That's what diplomats do. So, we, you know, there are things we can do uh, to uh, identify what sort of messaging it is. Is it news? Is it propaganda? You know, these are these are all things we can do. Um, uh, but the, the whole idea of reciprocity is th that's that's it. That's the coin of the realm. And so they had 160, we had 30 journalists in China at the time. And we were thinking of some way this would work out where if we kick out 60, they'd probably just kick all 30 out and then we go to zero. So the answer there for reciprocity is everything goes to zero and then you negotiate brick by brick. You give me one and China goes first. We don't go first. China, you give us that. Okay, you got that. You give us that and we'll finally build up something that looks like equal treatment. Or our smart people can also do things to make sure the Chinese people get access to something that looks like free information so they understand what's really happening in their country. That's the ultimate uh, answer there. Helping the Chinese people hear the truth. I want to zoom in on that part because you mentioned, right, our issue is not with the Chinese people. So how do we differentiate between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people? Because often what comes up with, say, this new House Select Committee on China, there's concerns that there's going to be anti-Asian hate rising. So how do we make that distinction? You know, the U.S. is a very unique place. There are lots of there are other multicultural countries out there, but the majority is still the majority of French, 
Dutch, whatever. But the U.S. as a nation of immigrants, Canada is similar. There is no real, I mean, yes, there's a majority, but there is no honest majority in this country. And so if we take action on something bad happening in Nigeria, are people going to then make accusations of anti-African hate uh, or pick a country? That that anti-Asian hate thing, one, doesn't exist. If you look at the statistics on that exactly, you know, during COVID, the overall rise in crime was that much. And the rise in, quote, anti-Asian hate came up at about the same rate. Um, it, it was the narrative. And guess where that narrative started? It started from the PRC. It was, a, a, you know, something that came out of People's Daily that somebody picked up on uh, and, and then perpetuated. So let's take an honest, objective look at what's going on in our country. Let's not handcuff ourselves um, on some small point when, in fact, the solution here is to be careful with our words. And this is why we say China, the Communist Party, we see the People's Republic of China, Beijing, Xi Jinping. Hopefully you never hear me just say China. The Chinese people don't get to vote. They have no say in who their bosses are. They don't pick the Chinese Communist Party. It's been inflicted on them. Therefore, they can't be held responsible for the actions of the party. We need to be very clear on how we talk about that. And it seems expanding on that, right, we are seeing, say, transnational repression of, say, just um, Chinese Americans here on in America being, you know, pressured with their family members in China. So how do we go about holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable? That's a really good point. It's been said, truthfully, honestly, that the Communist Party has killed more Chinese than anybody, has, has oppressed more Chinese than anybody by magnitudes. So... As John Garneau says when he talks about how we deal with Chinese covert, coercive, and, and corrupting influences, the solution is sunlight. Like a beautiful day in Colorado, just shine light, expose transparency, get through the opacity, because China's real good at hiding behind these cloaks, and expose exactly what's happened. Remember that, that student who was the valedictorian in Maryland who said, I love living in the U.S. because I can breathe free air and, and that? Well, that poor person's family was... Um, punished for the, the students speaking freely in a country where free speech is allowed. That story, those stories like that, if we simply put those out in the paper and not self-censor those, you know, though every time we do that, it, it, it notches down the PRC reputation just a little bit more. And getting at the CCP credibility and its legitimacy as a government is the solution. It is, it is it's proven not to be a legitimate form of government. You don't kill your own people, Uyghurs, in mass and claim to be a, you know, people's democracy. It's just not right. In general, with all of the different areas covered, any final words you'd like to share? I'm glad that we have upped our game. You know, when I started, you know, at State Department in 2019, we were still just making too many excuses about, oh, let's not do this because it's going to hurt the relationship. So I'm very happy that for a lot of reasons, some on the PRC side, some on decisions from Washington, D.C., that we have finally acknowledged that there is a competition. Once America acknowledges a competition, we're going to win. Uh, we've got allies, friends, you know, Japan, Taiwan, Philippines, Australia, all India uh, doing these things. Uh, that's one. And two, for every lever that the PRC has economically with the U.S., that's actually a lever that we have too. Use the example of Australian trade. Australians, to protect their own interests, um, 
asked for a investigation into the origins of COVID at the World Health uh, Organization. The PRC embargoed all their iron ore and their coal. That seemed like the PRC had a one-sided complete advantage where they could, without any penalty, crush the Australians. I don't know if you've seen what's happened, but apparently Northeast China last year, last winter, had extreme energy shortages to the point where people were freezing because they'd cut themselves off all from uh, all the, from all that Australian coal. Meanwhile, Australia found other markets in India. My point there is if it looks like the PRC has a single-handed advantage, especially in the economy, realize that our markets are also available for us to use as leverage against them. We have leverage against the PRC in every, every uh, realm uh, if we just choose to use it, and we should start using it. General, sounds like, as you mentioned, right, wait for them to come to us, not us always running to them. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tiffany. Enjoyed it. That was David Stilwell, retired Brigadier General and former Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.